0: you
1: podcast we are back once again. I am as always Andrew Ledman. I'm Casey Bartley. So before we get into the podcast today there is one thing I wanted to mention at the top. You may have noticed an additional episode of the podcast that dropped on Friday uh from Travis our overlord and uh, his buddy Paul. So that is an episode of uh kind of their their Let's Get Weird podcast that you used to be able to see in this feed. They are currently working on recording more of those, but they're working on creating their own feed for that. So we just thought this one was relevant because it is about Big Ten uh, Media Days. So if you haven't already listened to that one, go ahead and check it out. They did record it live actually at Big Ten Media Days uh, the the about two weeks ago. So feel free to give it a listen, but uh, look out for their feed when it does uh, go fully live, uh, hopefully here soon. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, Casey, I have got an Olympics-related question for you. Let's get that gold! Exactly. And that is a great way for me to ask this question. Uh, what do you know about Ray Yuri?: Nothing.
0: Except I know that he's mentioned as, I believe he is the bona fide best Olympic athlete from Purdue.
1: That is correct. So we had a request to talk about him on our Twitter feed, and I, it, I thought the guy was joking. Uh, but he was like, I'm 100% serious, which is great because I love his story and I hadn't even heard of him until I was in grad school at Purdue. So uh, he was actually born in Lafayette, so he's a local boy, um, and he actually had polio as a child, which not exactly the start of a budding athletic career. Uh, he was he, he was in a wheelchair. They thought he was going to be paralyzed for life, and as children did, you know, back in the 1870s, just decided to start exercising on his own. Turns out he got better and wasn't – Can you lift your way out of polio? Apparently. um, So it must have been a mild case of polio. I'm not 100 percent, but – There are multiple degrees of polio? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm learning a lot. So he basically was like, no, I'm not going to be in a wheelchair. And – exercised, and somehow overcame polio. I'm not a doctor. I don't know the details of how that works.
0: So people who succumb to polio are just weak.
1: (laughs) They just, maybe they didn't think of exercising a lot. Mm. You know, maybe if- Maybe maybe they didn't have
0: bootstraps
1: in their Yeah, pull themselves up by them. Maybe if Ray, (laughs) Yuri could have gone around and and done talks. You you people with polio, you're just not doing enough squats. Uh,
0: That makes sense. that makes sense. I've been lifting the last couple of weeks, and I feel very much less
1: like I have. Oh, well, I was going to say, have you had polio these last few weeks? Not the last few weeks. The story story checks out. <laughs> um, so after he's you know overcome polio, he goes to Purdue. Uh, he got both a bachelor's and a master's from Purdue. Seems And done them. <laughs> especially in the 1890s, yeah. like, what are you doing with a master's degree in the 1890s? Um, so while he was at Purdue, he was captain of the track team he played football uh, and he joined a uh, joined a fraternity so two out of three is not bad yeah exactly and back in you know the he graduated in 1897 with a masters and the olympics began the modern olympics began in 1896 so he did not go to the first olympics the first modern olympics but in 1900 they were in paris and he went he went as part of the new york athletic club because where was it in 1896 I'm uh, assuming you've heard a
0: dollop on it or something. I mean,
1: 1896. It was in. It was in Greece. Athens. Because you know, yeah. Because it was like restarting the Olympics, um, and of course they were always held in Greece. So, and and I took a class on the Olympics. I think I might have mentioned that.
0: Um. So do you know what city has hosted the most Olympics? Oh no, I
1: don't. Do you? I do because
0: we got this question what? wrong at trivia last week. Is way. it Athens? No, it's three City. times. Yeah, go ahead. New York.
1: New York LA. has never
0: hosted it. I don't know. LA is tied for second with a bunch of them.
1: Okay, I don't know then. London. London, three okay. Times. All right, well, you're making me look like a fool now. Um, what grade did you get in that class again? I, hey, I got an A in that class. Of course, I think if you showed up, you got an A in that class. It was very easy, but it was also great. <laughs> um, so when, they, when the Olympics started, it was just like, no one really knew what to expect. No one really knew if it was going to catch on. So it's like like the United States didn't really put together a delegation of athletes. It's like all these athletic clubs throughout the country sent people. And he – because he moved to New York after college. And they all just hoped they didn't kill their father and marry their mother. I don't think you're thinking of the right thing. You may be thinking of Oedipus.
0: Yeah.
1: That was <laughs> you, an Olympic event. I don't think so. I will have to check the stats. On that one. How do you I mean what what do you what do you do to win? I mean he accidentally killed his father at a big like javelin tournament or whatever. <laughs> right. I'm just gonna ignore all of this. I don't <laughs> even know what is happening. So he competed in events that were just ridiculous. It was standing high jump, standing long jump, and standing triple jump.
0: Is that the one with the horse that you've never been introduced
1: to? What are you talking about?
0: Do you not pay attention to the Twitter, Ledman? You didn't see the I... crying girl on the horse?
1: Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, I I mean, so the dude, he competed in three events in the Paris Games in 1900. He won gold in all three. Uh, he def- successfully defended all three of those titles at the 1904 Olympics. And then because they weren't sure, like the Olympics – Again, it was all brand new. So they did an Olympics in 1906, which shouldn't have been an Olympic year. I said it um, wasn't there in
0: 1904 in St. Louis.
1: Yeah. So he did the 1906 and they call them now the intercalated games uh and he won I them don't all like there that. too. Yeah. What does that mean? I, I have no idea. Uh so he won two events there because they had discontinued um the triple standing triple jump. So he won 3 3 two at these weird Olympics in 1906 that the IOC doesn't technically recognize anymore. And then in 1908, he won two more gold medals. So he participated in six Olympic events – or I'm sorry, eight total Olympic spots and won eight golds. I mean it's just unbelievable, and he would have had ten if they would have continued to count uh, the 1906 games. And I mean he went to Purdue, and I hadn't heard of him until – I took a class about the Olympics, and I mean, I just think that's wild that Purdue has this guy who is one of the most successful Olympians of all time, and no one ever talks about him.
0: I mean, if his name was Pete, he could have just been the logo. It could have been Polio Pete.
1: Yeah, Polio Pete. I, you know, I would have uh, gone with that as the update when they tried to do the Muppet Purdue Pete. We did a Muppet Purdue Pete. Yeah, you remember is back that? What the... we call that guy? Well, that's what I call that guy. I okay. think. I think that's generally his accepted Twitter name. Um, but so here, here's another question. What do you think? I miss hey, Rowdy. Oh, I loved Rowdy. I know he gets a <laughs> lot of shit, but he was fun. And he's not for adults. He's for kids. Like kids and me. Well, yeah, me too. I mean, I wasn't going to say it, but <laughs> I don't mind that I have a – I enjoy childlike things. I, I, seeing a mascot bounce on his head. I like good just, dancers. Exactly. And Rowdy had the moves. Mm-hmm. So what do you think – He so You reset the world record in the standing long jump. If I told you to just stand here and see how far you could jump without, like, running, how long do you think you could go? Like, how far? Yeah, yeah. Um, I can go about two and a half to three. His world record, which stood until the event was discontinued, was 11 feet 5 inches. What? Yes. You could jump on the rim? (laughs) (laughs) Basically, he just stood there... And long jumped eleven feet five inches. That's insane. It's ridiculous. That's his... like
0: so like if he caught the ball at the top of the key, he could just jump
1: forward and then like lay it in. More or less. Yeah. His nickname was the human frog, <clears throat> which <clears throat> I think I think that's pretty good. <clears throat> but I mean, I, I was looking around earlier to see if I could find like his triple his standing triple jump or his standing high jump numbers. Um, but a quick Google search could not uh give me what they were uh but Standing i mean high jump sounds very lame
0: so the running seems important.
1: yes so basically what they did and and i know this because they have pictures of him doing it so basically they just they have the high jump bar he would stand on it and just jump and he would have to like scissor his legs to get like one over at a time so in <laughs> essence he's like jumping just slightly to the side it's it's just wild and I mean they you know they discontinued these events so no one no one does them anymore so maybe that's why he's not you know looked looked upon as such a great Olympian but you know he competed in the events when they were there so um he never lost an event and I think that's just incredible
0: Yeah no that's really cool um makes sense why no one's heard of him but
1: Yeah and I mean it, and uh, he actually there was no athlete who had more gold medals than him until Michael Phelps broke his record in 2008. No kidding. Yeah, that's if you include the the two uh, that the IOC now like which doesn't. We do not. Which I do, because it's bullshit. They were they were marketed as an Olympic Games at the time, and then they're like, eh, never mind. He's so like,
0: on the one hand, IOC, which does this, side of these, but super corrupt. And on the other hand, exactly Ledman,
1: who podcasts I, on the exactly and. I think you know I probably just did my own research, so you should just listen to me. Of course. So there you go. Uh, Ray yuri, I think a, a national treasure. Purdue needs to do a little something for him. I think there's got to be a way we can recognize this guy on campus somehow. Um, there is actually a place um, somewhere in Lafayette uh, that they have like a plaque about him and information. It's a, it's a charity of some type. I can't remember. I saw it once, but I can't remember where it is. You know it would be cool? They've What's got, that?
0: they've got like a, don't they have Neil Armstrong's, uh, like, footpath that he Yeah, took yeah, over by the Williams. Armstrong
1: Engineering Building.
0: But just put the
1: long jump right next to it and see which one's wider. Now, you know, honestly, it would actually be kind of cool Pretty to you cool, be, like, right? be like, stand here and then see where Ray Uri jumped yeah. in the world record, and you're like, what the heck?
0: Rig- There's Uri- no way! Ray Rig- Uri probably just, like, comes up to Neil Armstrong, and, Oh, you had to go to the moon to jump that far, huh?
1: <laughs> oh what gravity. gravity. Back? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I think Purdue needs to do something for this guy, so hopefully they can. I, I don't know how likely that is, but I mean when you got a guy that's got eight officially recognized gold medals and and uh ten that Andrew Ledman recognizes, I think you you gotta do something to recognize that. So I mean he beat Polio with pull ups. Exactly. And and I'm sure there was a medicine ball and like those bands that people are always working out with in old-timey shows. Maybe I have one of those shake chairs. Oh, yeah, those are the best. Yeah, that's how we got the abs. <laughs> All right, so that is Ray Yuri, And before we get into our two players this week, I wanted to talk about uh, the Athlon Sports article that hopefully a lot of you have seen. They do it every year. They talk to Big Ten coaches uh, about the other teams in the conference, but they do it anonymously so that the coaches feel like they can actually – you know, say what they believe and what they actually think about these teams. So, you know, we could go through them all, but I, I, I read this every year. I always think it's pretty interesting because this is the stuff that you actually want to read about coaches instead of, well, you know, we think we got a great team. This is going to be the best group in the big 10. We're probably going to, you know, have our, we had our best spring ever. It's like, no one believes any of that. You're all just, it's all just puff. So, um, I'm going to read a quote, and it's just like I – th- I said this on Twitter. These are all really depressing, but I don't know that I can disagree with any of them. So here's a quote from are you, one of the – Are groupies. you reading
0: your saddest one?
1: Uh Oh, do we want to choose which one we think is the saddest?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, let's see.
0: I've got mine. It's pretty easy.
1: Yeah, I mean uh, you go first, then. I'll choose mine later. Yeah, mine is just anonymous quotes. The offensive line is their
0: weakest unit, I think. In that offense, they don't really ask the linemen to do a lot,
1: but they're still bad. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not good. <laughs> it's not good when the coaches say, you know, they don't expect the they don't expect a lot out of those people, and they still fail. Yep, yeah, they don't put anything on their shoulders, and they still fall down. Um, so this is this one is not good. Uh, this may be the worst one in, in my opinion at this point in Brahms' time. There, it's a little concerning that they're so thin at certain position groups, and that they have basically no defensive identity. They lost the attention in state to IU. That now becomes a huge game for them. It's like, oh. There was only really, there was only one quote that was good, and it was their receivers are absolutely phenomenal, and not just Rondell Moore. It's clear that Jeff Brom and his guys understand passing offenses. Honestly, their wideouts are probably second only to Ohio State. The only now, thing, go the ahead.
0: thing that makes that sad is. Yes, they're really great wide receivers, but your quarterback needs to be like standing up to get them the ball. Right. So it kind of reflects back on that offensive line that they can't do anything. So yeah, even though we do have a nominal receiver, God, God forbid what our passing offense would look like if our guys weren't constantly open.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, if we just had run of the mill receivers, uh, I don't even know what our offense would do. So here, here's just a sampling. I'm not going to read the whole quotes, but here's just a just a sampling of some of the the worst parts. What's going on here? Are they tough? Can they bang when they need to? Uh, They don't have a program quarterback. Defensively, it's all question marks again. People are starting to talk about what it must be like to coach that side of the ball for Brom. Otherwise, you can really light them up. The secondary isn't talented. Uh, The buzz they had a few years ago is totally gone. So I guess my question for you, Levin, is there anything on
0: here that you read? There's not a ton of quotes. Is there anything on there that you push back again?
1: Oh man. Um, no. No, because I mean most of the quotes about the defense are all like what is their identity and what are what are they gonna do other than because there is one, it's like uh they have one productive end, obviously talking about Karloftis. Um, and I mean other than that, what do we have on defense that we know is gonna produce and we know is gonna be there for us? I I don't know. The you know the secondary has some players, but I, I don't know if they're going to be ball stoppers, if they're going to be lockdown defenders. And we're we're relying a lot on people who are coming out of red shirts and some of the transfers who are coming in that we talked about with Drew about six weeks ago, I think. So I just I wish it was better, but I just don't see it. and And I'm of a very pessimistic mind about football this year, whereas – others on our staff like Travis and Kyle and even Travis Drew. is high on cocaine yes he is he's talking about possibility of nine wins um but uh I mean Kyle says you know six or seven and Drew says the same thing and I think I think I said when we did this podcast it's like best case scenario for me is like six wins
0: yeah the only thing I push back against a little bit is two quotes that kind of counteract if the offensive line is that bad we don't know if we have a
1: yeah, that's true. That's true because there's a lot of questions about the quarterback in these anonymous quotes.
0: I don't think we don't have some talent at quarterback. I don't think we have, you know, we don't have Drew Brees back there, but I think we have a lot of guys that are big ten caliber starting quarterbacks, like maybe two or three. We, yeah, I watched agree O'Connell have some success. In big ten. We've
1: yeah, seen he's a walk on.
0: Look pretty good, Um Alemo – I think we have one more kid back there that all have some talent. It could be good. but When you're saying that about an offense, not only are you not asking them to do anything, so you're telling me that the protection is simple and you don't have a bunch of stuff that's helping the quarterback, but also they're just bad at the normal stuff, even when you try to handicap them. So I don't know how you can really give a proper grade to any of our quarterbacks. I like Plummer. I think yeah, I do when too. his feet are set, he has a very pretty ball, very accurate, good timing, but you just don't. You don't see quarterbacks have success when they have no timing or trust in the pocket.
1: You know, you can look at one position and say, oh, Purdue doesn't have talent here. But it may just be a situation where other positions that are not doing their job impact how this person does their job. Um, We talked about it about defenses all the time. You know, if you have no push up front, it's going to make your your secondary look bad because your secondary is asked to be – Uh, to cover for, you know, much longer than necessary. And eventually somebody's going to get open. So if you don't put pressure on the quarterback, it makes the linebackers look bad. It makes the secondary look bad. Um, So any one unit not doing their job impacts how the other units look.
0: Yeah. And in our heyday when, you know, we were having all that success with Tiller, we had NFL guys everywhere on the offense and
1: defense. Yeah.
0: Just top to bottom. We had a ton of talent there. Every year we had new recruits that were getting after the quarterback and protecting the quarterback. That's where the mark of a good program exists. And that's why you can't call Brahm's tenure to this point anything but an unmitigated
1: disaster. I don't I wouldn't go that far. I mean he, we, he did he's a top ten paid coach in
0: yes. the country. This is year four, and yes. the team looks worse than it did when he came in.
1: I don't know that I'd say unmitigated disaster. Braum, it is not it has not been good. Rondell I mean, Moore I, and George Karloftis are carrying
0: the entire weight of Brahms' success.
1: Yeah, now one of them's gone.
0: Yeah, and also neither of them counted for that many wins.
1: No, no, but I mean they were just good names to grab. I I agree that obviously things are not going how we want them. Um, but it, like one of the anonymous quotes said, you know what happened to the buzz that they had when they after the first season when we had those electric wins when we had games that people actually cared about and wanted to watch. We didn't seem to capitalize that on in recruiting and without the recruits, what are you doing? You know, it's, it's, you can only scheme your way into so many wins. You can only trick so many defenses. If you don't have the horses, you're not going to be able to keep up in the big 10. You know, the big 10 has a lot of good teams. They're not all Ohio state, but, um, you know, there's a lot of teams that Purdue right now just can't keep up with on the recruiting uh, field.
0: We're in a conference or we're in a division with a whole lot of teams that have a whole lot of hog mouths. You can't scheme a guy off his back. You can recruit right. and coach them beforehand,
1: and they're not doing either. Yeah, the thing that's the thing that has really bothered me the most is the seeming lack of player development, because after four years the offensive line granted they they did better last year than i thought they were going to but now given the injuries we've seen there were medical retirements on the offensive side of the ball i, I again going into the fourth year i don't know that we have a solid offensive line and when you're an offensive minded coach when you're known you know you're a former quarterback professional quarterback and all you can bring in is is good wide receivers, Grand, very good wide receivers. But if you can't bring in a line to open holes for them, a, a line to protect the quarterback, what else does it matter? Yeah, and I'll say this. That's the
0: offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball. We're about to have
1: our third defensive coordinator, or yep. well, third, fourth, and fifth. Yeah, well, that's a whole other it's issue. It's pretty
0: clear that Brom doesn't
1: know defense. Right. You don't Which is fine. miss it's on fine. defensive
0: coaches. If you understand defense or what you
1: want yeah I mean the the diaco experiment was an absolute disaster I mean- re- reports from uh folks we talked to say that everybody hated him and i and I don't just mean coaches, I mean the players the players apparently did not like this guy, did not get along with him, and George Karloftis didn't like him, and I don't. You know I'm not trying to be like you have to play favorites with your with your team, and stars should get special treatment, but when basically the not basically when the best guy under defense doesn't get along with his coordinator, you gotta ask some questions and you gotta figure out is your player being you know maybe uh asked to do things that he shouldn't be able to shouldn't be asked to do is he being challenged and doesn't like that, or is it literally the defensive coordinator is a jackass? And in this scenario, it just seemed like Diaco was a jackass, and no one liked him. Yeah, and it's weird, because it wasn't an unknown. You and me are not right. the most
0: tied into football, and we knew going into the season that Diaco was a dick, no yeah. one liked him, and that his defense has played soft and back, and they weren't going to be aggressive, they weren't going to, you know, become some grand scheme of getting after the quarterback, making plays, getting most out of the talent. He's had some success, but... Was mostly off of playing it safe and not making mistakes. Yeah. We don't have enough talent to just no. play a bunch of big zones and, you know, get after the quarterback just with pure talent or athleticism. Yeah. We need someone back there that can inspire his team, has some creative concepts, takes uh, some a good risks. Good recruiter. Uh, and he checked off none of those boxes. And you can't yeah. tell me, Rom, with as much money as he's getting paid, with all the acclaim that came with keeping him here, That was his hire.
1: No one forced a coach. Yeah. Yeah. And that to me, that's more that is more worrisome than just about anything else, because it's not like like you said, it's not like Diaco was some division three guy who Brom was like, I get a good feeling about him. This guy was known. He'd been around big college football before. He had a reputation and Brom rolled the dice on him. Now, the question I have is is that because he was the highest profile guy Brom could get based on the fact that you know he just fired Nick Holt who I I think has a pretty good reputation in college football um and was just recently hired actually for the on the offensive side of the ball but is there a problem working for Brahm on defense and do people not want to join his staff so that to me is more troublesome because I I I question not only do people want to work for him, but also question Brom's judgment on bringing that kind of guy in.
0: Yeah, I mean it just doesn't look good. There's no part about it that looks good, and it sounds like he might have lucked into a good hire. Um, a lot of Purdue players Hagen. really seem to like Hagen. Thinks he's the real deal. I think it came down to I I think Brom believes more in his offense than he should. Yeah, I thought he, I think he thought a safe defense coordinator would be. Enough to slow down offenses,
1: and he could outscore teams. So far, we've not case.
0: seen any proof of that being a thing. So.
1: Yeah. Well, all right. Now that we've can you know sufficiently brought the mood down, let us take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about two boilermakers for the 2021-2022 season: Zach Eady and Brandon Newman. And welcome back. We are continuing our journey through the 2021-2022 Purdue men's basketball roster, and we are going to start out today with. The big man, uh, Zach Eady. What do, what do we call him? The big maple. Big Mapal. I I don't think Mapal is how the Canadians would say it, but I'll yield to you as you're you're <laughs> obviously known for your great accent work. So uh so obviously we know all about Zach Eady, Uh the big man. He's listed at seven four, although all the internet went aflame over the summer when somebody mentioned that he was still growing and might actually be seven six. So who knows? Uh, we'll see if we can get a an actual measurement uh, on him at some point. He didn't uh, look any bigger
0: uh, in Olympic play.
1: Well, yeah, and the guy from France was taller than him, which was just astounding. That is insane. Yeah. So, all right. So Zach Eadie, I think it's safe to say it was probably the surprise of last season. Um, I mean, I don't think anybody expected him to be as good as he was Averaged 8.7 points and 4.4 rebounds, shot nearly 60% from the field, and he shot a very respectable for a guy his size, 71.4% from the line. Um, so that that is something that you love to see. He wound, wound up the season with 30 blocks, um, and he, he was able to start two games on the season. So obviously, Edie is someone we're really looking forward to see next year. And the fact that he did so well in the uh, FIBA Under-19 World Cup really sheds uh, a lot of light on, I think, what we can expect from him as a player. And before I unleash Casey on the stats, uh, I want to mention that in the Canadian, or I'm sorry, at, on Team Canada in the Under-19, he averaged, averaged, 15.1 points, 14.1 rebounds and 2.3 blocks per game over seven games, and those numbers are just phenomenal, and were obviously enough to get him named to the World Cup All-Star 5 uh, for the FIBA Under-19. So Casey, what did you see in the summer league – or I'm sorry, in the FIBA Under-19 World Cup that he didn't show at Purdue his freshman year? And what can he use as kind of a springboard to his, his next year?
0: Well, we saw a Canadian team that was not nearly as disciplined as Purdue about getting the ball in the post naturally. Hey. And what they relied on is him as a pick roller and him rolling hard to the hoop, which is not something you see a ton in Matt Painter's offense anyway. And something we didn't really see with him. And something we really didn't see with him at all last season. So it was really really interesting to see that he could be effective being that big and moving as quick as he does, and having good enough hands and athleticism to still be able to catch the ball, make passes, grab rebounds, really good on the offensive rebounds. and to just be able to kind of be a game record. was the most consistent offense they had was him as a pick-and-roller. So that can really open something up, especially when we add a guard like Jaden Ivey. To think that we don't have to just be a static big man in the post defense, to have some movement in that pick-and-roll and, roll and for him to be able to attack like that is something that really could open up a whole new element to our offense and something we didn't see from him. It really shows his maturation of understanding the game and being able to make quick decisions that he definitely could not do at the beginning of last season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I know one of your big dreams for next year is to find ways to have Edie and Trevion on the floor at the same time, because... I mean, truth be told, what do you think? They're probably two of our best three players?
0: Yeah, I think that sounds
1: right. So I, I don't think
0: there's any – he's just so good offensively, so efficient. Any so, time. I mean,
1: what, what what does Edie have to do in order to find a way that we can successfully play both him and Williams at the same time? He has to be able
0: to defend better. Uh, I don't think he's a natural rim protector yet. You know, you saw the block numbers are pretty high. He's really tall. He's going to get to some blocks. But he's also not great at judging. You've uh, seen a lot of little guards have a lot of success going to the other side of the rim on him. He hasn't figured that oh, out. Oh, yeah. Um, he, hasn't, he doesn't anticipate well enough to close off those lands before they can get there. So I would love for him to just sit down and watch A.J. Hammonds and the way he played angles at the rim. He's one of the best big men I've ever seen at that. And if Edie could understand even 10% of that more this year. That would go a long way in him protecting the rim. Just because I, I think there are some difficulties on the offensive end, obviously. And a lot of it is going to come down to, has Trey extended his game? Does he have more skill from the mid-range? Which I think we both believe a little bit that he does yeah, uh, from what we've watched. Yes, But what has to happen is on the defensive end, Edie has to be such a detraction at the rim that he boosts our defensive numbers to really take advantage of what could be a crazy efficient offense with two of the best offensive rebounders in the country at the same time, including Trey, who is a special guy who is big, but he's so good at passing and understanding space that I think you can make it work. We saw it a couple times where it's just, if he has a seven foot four target, he
1: will get him the ball at the rip. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if we were to be able to play both of those guys on the floor at the same time, do you think it, makes more sense for Trey to play the four and guard the four.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think we can ask. Edie moves pretty well laterally for as big as he is, but you're not going to ask him to no. guard a stretch or anything, and you want that size at the rim. Um, I, I think Trey has the ability to at least be something of a nuisance. He's got good hands at the perimeter. And, you know, with all the switches anyway, who knows how long you're going to stick on a big guy anyway. Yeah, uh, They're going to run him in a pick and roll and maybe end up on a guard. So you just have to learn how to corral ball handlers into the seven foot four guy yeah what i, what I think the biggest advantage could be is give Jaden ivy a rest so we don't have the playmaking a guard bring in the two bigs and let them run the offense get some minutes without ivy having to make plays at best.
1: okay so i mean you you think that would work even though you earlier were talking about how great it would be with ivy and ed on a pick and roll
0: well separately you you're, you're gonna run ivy and ed pick and rolls when Trey's out OK, so you have a little triangle there. You want at least two of those three
1: on the floor at all times. Okay? Gotcha. Gotcha. OK. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's the biggest question mark for the season is how you get enough minutes for both Edie and Williams. Because, again, I I think they're two of the three best players on the team. And the more I mean, you're not going to take Trevion off the floor unless he needs a break or unless there's foul trouble. Uh, I mean, I suppose there's he could have a bad game, but that's I, y- you got to let him play through it at a certain point because he's so dang talented.
0: You say that, but we saw last year there were times where Zach Eadie was the best center on our team. Yeah, he just played yeah. phenomenal, and you can't take him off at that point. And it does suck to have Trey sitting on the bench then, but Eadie is such a matchup nightmare, and when he's got it going on, you just feed him, and it's hard to go away with that. He's had games where you know eight of 10, eight of 11 from the field. And yeah. How do you stop that? And a lot of teams
1: just flat out can't. Yeah. I mean, it's a great problem to have, but it is nonetheless a problem. Um, You know, when you've got two guys that play maybe not the exact same way, but they play a pretty dang similar position and type of game. You've got to figure out a way to maximize both of their minutes because again, they're two of the most talented players on the team. So it's a, it's a great problem for Matt Painter to have, and I'm glad it's his to work out and not mine.
0: Yeah, I think part of the way to actually get the most out of it is it, it's not about a minute thing. It's just those big guys know that if the other guy comes in, the team is going to be just fine. So play your heart out, play 110 percent, get worn out in three minutes, and get pulled out.
1: Yeah, but that's a good, that's a good way of looking at it. That's a good way, especially. I mean, you know, we've talked about uh, Williams has had some foul trouble issues in the past, but. If he knows that, hey, I can just go out and play some tough defense, hard-nosed defense, and if I get into foul trouble, Edie's going to come in and it's going to be just fine. Um, maybe that might change his mentality a little bit, might be a little more aggressive. So, that that's a good way of thinking of it. I, I hadn't I hadn't thought of it that way.
0: Yeah, I mean we've got two special guys. We we'll see what some of the freshmen are coming into the Big Ten next year. But if you told me at the end of the season we had the two best centers in the Big Ten, would be shocked in the even slight.
1: Yeah. So, and again, I mean, I know this is something they harp on every time Purdue is on TV, but it, it bears repeating that Edie, you know, only started playing basketball before his junior year in high school. So, you know, that means it's been about three, three years of him playing basketball.
0: And I'll say that that's a common thing. And you hear that a lot about players that don't play, but there is a difference between never playing and there's just this natural progression you're going to get better just from familiarity but i think with ed we are seeing not only has he not played but i think he has a mind for basketball so i think it's exponentially getting better he couldn't pass at the beginning of the season
1: yeah yeah i mean the the growth he showed from game one to game you know 30 whatever it was it, it was incredible was incredible. He looked like a completely different player.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, he scored 17 points in the second game against Clemson and he literally could not pass the ball.
1: Yeah. And you don't normally see that kind of improvement in season. You You know, you may, you may see it from one season to the next, but not from, from in during season.
0: Usually you don't see production while you're watching someone figure it
1: out. Yeah. Yeah. That is an excellent point. Usually if they're, if they're figuring it out, they don't get on the floor.
0: Yeah. And what we're seeing is he's getting on the floor. He's so big and athletic and so just a, like an incredible athlete. What he's able to do while figuring this all out live is remarkable. And I am unbelievably thrilled to see him back in a system for the second time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be pretty great. So. All right. um, I don't have anything else on Edie. Do you want to head over to Brandon Newman or do you have anything else? Nope. I think all right. It's
0: time to go to the go.
1: So. Uh, we go from, you know, a seven foot four guy to a six foot five guy, which six five is, you know, pretty big, but standing next to Zach Eady, you might feel a little small. So that is the sophomore out of Valpo. Brandon Newman, um, obviously had a pretty darn good, uh, freshman season. He had averaged eight points, three and a half boards and 1.3 assists. Um, had a really great free throw percentage, 93.8%. Um, we love to see that because those can, can really make a difference, as Purdue fans have seen over these last couple years. Uh, free throws make a difference. So uh, he hit 39 three-pointers, which is pretty dang good for uh, a freshman in the Big Ten. It was the second most among freshmen and seventh most ever by a Purdue freshman. Uh, he did win a Big Ten Player of the Week after he scored 29 against Minnesota. So he, he showed that he can fill it up Um, what do you think is going to be the best thing that uh, Newman can contribute to the team next year? I
0: think it's twofold. And one is dealing with improving a weakness, and the other one is playing to the strength. Uh, I love it.
1: I love it. Let's do do both.
0: So the playing to the strength thing is something that he showed from early on. When he caught the ball on the move, he was really good, especially driving to the, had a nice left-hand finish, had some good touch at the rim. He's a really good athlete. He can get up. So when he didn't settle and came off screens hard, he was really good at opening up the defense and scoring at the rim. He didn't do that, enough, especially as competition got harder, athletes got better. Sometimes he kind of just settled as just being this catch and shoot three-point shooter. Okay. I want to see him demand
1: the ball without the ball. So really, really work through those screens, come off those screens a lot harder because then he's going to be able to get the ball in space and you get it on the run and just keep going to the hoop. Exactly. Okay
0: make his size and athleticism even more of a strength on the court. Second of all, he's really got to improve his handle. We saw that he's a good catch-and-shoot guy. He had a couple little pet step-back moves that were inconsistent at times. But if he got caught one-on-one with the guy, it looked a lot of the times like he didn't know what to do. Um, he doesn't have the strongest handle, doesn't really know how to engage and get an advantage on a player, get into their hip, get them off balance. Really needs to work on a subset of little engagement techniques, dribbles, hesitations, really tighten up that handle so he can become the kind of player that can break down a defense more effectively, leveraging all the other things that he can do already, athleticism and shooting. Leverage those things to be able to take advantage of defenders, especially because the best a- best athletes should not be lined up against Newman. They're going to want right. Ivy. They're going to want uh, even Hunter is probably more of a – Get the quicker guy on him, so you really want to see him be able to get the ball in his hands, know what to do, how to get into his stuff, how to really uh, create those angles to get cleaner looks for himself.
1: Yeah, I think one of the best things that can happen to Brandon Newman is for Jaden Ivy to stick around, because as you said, you're gonna teams are gonna want to put their best defender on on um Ivy, and then. That opens up Newman because Newman is, you know, as you stated, an, an athletic guy. I mean, he's good, he's fast, he's strong, uh, and he's big. I mean, he's six five. So, if they continue to put their best player on Ivy, as they should, it allows uh, Newman possibly an athletic mismatch. Um, and especially, like you said, if they have Hunter in there, he might get their third best guy, and he's got to be able to make teams pay. Um, he's got to be able to kind of assert himself on the offensive end and and show that he is a viable second, third, you know, whatever option. Because if he is a threat, it makes it, you know, like we were talking about with football, it makes everybody else's job easier when somebody else shows that they're a threat. It's going to help open up the lane for Ivy. It's going to draw defenders away uh, from from Williams and Edie, and it's going to just going to make the whole offense more efficient, and look a lot better. Yeah, it's
0: just at times he looks very flat-footed on the court. If if I'm Coach Painter, I'm showing him all the video I can of Carson Edwards and the way he worked off the ball. Carson Edwards was always ready to spring forward, backwards, oh, yeah. left, right, always on the tip of his toes. I want Newman to have that kind of energy. I want him to have that kind of flexibility. I want him to be coiled up, ready to strike at a moment's notice, any from any direction. That's the kind of athlete he is. It's the kind of skill set that he has because he's shown that he can make shots at every level on the court. And he kind of just hit a wall last year. There's yeah. jump shot went away and all of a sudden he didn't know really how to affect the game on the offensive end consistently.
1: Well, and you see that with a lot of freshmen, you know, as they go through the grind of their first college season, especially in the big 10. I mean, the big 10 is a physical league. It's a tough league. And when you're a guy like Newman who in your first big 10 season, he was getting, you know, fairly big minutes for a freshman. And all of a sudden, you know, the games start wearing on you, your legs get a little tired. And, you know, it, as a competitor, like Newman, you don't want to be like, Hey, I need, you know, I need a rest. I need to, I need a break. You want to try to push through it. Um, and I think maybe he did that a little too much and you, it wasn't always all there for him, but that's just the freshman wall. It's going to happen to everybody. So assuming, you know, he's got another uh, great offseason in him, he could come back and be in better shape uh, and be able to go full bore for the full season. And I I think that would add an additional element to the offense with another great guard, because I think Newman can be a really good uh, three-point shooter for us as well as a guy who can get to the hoop, because this, this Purdue team under Matt Painter they always thrive when they have good three-point shooting, and we need someone other than Sasha to be a consistent threat, and I think Newman can be that guy if given the chance.
0: His jump shot form, it can be a little a little robotic at times, but it's pretty clean when he's on, and it's quick. It's good. He's just got to add to his game a little and limit his turnovers. Uh, we've talked about turnover rate a lot this year. Yeah. yeah. His was at 21.3, way too high, Yeah. especially for a guy who is – usually only the second ball handler.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, because you would think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you would think as he's not the initial ball handler that if he gets the ball, it's probably going to be a shot. Yeah, and
0: he's not he's not someone that was super creative in making plays for other people, so, you know, his assist rate was only 10%, so he's not, he's not creating a bunch of looks, so when he had the ball in his hand and he wasn't shooting, it almost always ended poorly, and that can't be the case. And that's... That's indicative of a guy who doesn't know how to get to the spots. So he would get in bad places and then have to try to force his way out or lose his handle doing that. He didn't score in the NCAA tournament game. He was very Oh, bad.
1: wow. 12 I minutes, over two, two turnovers. Not a yeah, good that's not good. Not good. Yeah, but I mean, I wouldn't expect many games like that from him going he a, forward. He had a lot last year. A lot of games like that, you mean? He had a lot of games like that last year. Multiple turnovers. eyeballing it. he
0: had more than... He had multiple turnovers in what looks like 50 to 60% of his games, and
1: that's too much. Yeah, but I mean I think – I don't think that's anything that you can lay on him as this is going to be who he is. I think as a freshman, as a guy who – I think – honestly, I think he was asked to play more minutes than he thought he was going to. Um, I mean I know he redshirted in in 2019, 2020, Um, so this was his second year with the program but his first on the court, but – no matter how much preparation you do, I think the first season of, you know, live college ball is going to be a shock for anybody. And I I think he just, he saw some things that he wasn't used to. And I think it, it flustered him a little bit and not everybody's going to go out and dominate in their first year. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what Newman can do next year. I think he, he has great potential um, on this team. Yeah, I will say he
0: kind of, he didn't take, Getting benched for Ivy and then again for Sasha, great on in terms of how he played on the court, and I think there were some mentions that you know mentally he didn't deal with it great during the season. I uh, with the team that we have next year, he's probably gonna have to come off the bench again. So hopefully that's a mindset he can get in to start the year, make the most out of his minutes. Ivy's not gonna be allowed for long. We're gonna need another guard in there. So I, I think Newman hopefully can really catapult this next year, become a more efficient player and. He has the two-way athleticism and skill to be uh, just an absolute call in the system going forward.
1: All right, so I think we're going to end it there because we're going to end on a positive note uh, about Brandon Newman and what we can look forward to him uh, next season. So we've got just one thing left, and it is my turn to give the recommendation. Uh, so I'm going to recommend a podcast, and it's a podcast that was on like a two-year break and is now back. So, Casey, what do you know about Elizabeth Holmes? Oh, uh, Pitch Perfect? No, not even close. No, 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 no. You're thinking of Elizabeth Banks, maybe? Yes. Yes. Um, so Elizabeth Holmes is uh, the woman who is now on trial uh, for fraud in the uh, Theranos blood uh, m- medical equipment scandal.
0: Oh, I have no idea. I don't know what Theranos is. Um... Okay. I wasn't a fan of him going up against the Avengers, but.
1: (laughs) Well played. Well played. I did not know where you were going there, but that was good. (laughs) That was good. So the name of this podcast is The Dropout. Um, And it's about this woman, like I said, Elizabeth Holmes, and her quest to create a blood testing like machine that. You know when you go to a hospital, you get blood drawn, they got to take like three or four vials because they got to run different tests and they need a certain amount of blood? You've been to a hospital, surely. Um, Well, she claimed to be able to create a machine that could run every test you needed with like one drop of blood, and it would have been like a medical miracle. Everybody's like, this isn't possible. And so the, the podcast, The Dropout, is the story of how she basically conned everyone into giving her money. Like millions upon millions of dollars for this company, Theranos. Uh, and then what happened as everything started to close in on her? And it just recently came back because her trial is getting ready to start. So the people who did the podcast are going to do regular, like, podcast episodes about what's gone on in the trial. So it was a very interesting listen. Uh, Jess and I actually downloaded all of the episodes uh, because we were going to we were driving to New York one weekend and uh, we were like let's just listen to the whole thing so we listened to every episode on a drive to New York Holmes and back. In the home. Hamptons, guy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know we have our multiple places. I don't <laughs> want to talk about it. It's I, it makes congrats. The, I mean you are It makes the plebs. You a little did jealous. just get a
0: promotion. You're a a uh, did second lieutenant lawyer of the third degree.
1: Yes man i I don't know how you're getting you're such a wordsmith tonight it's been it's just incredible um so i I just want to give one more little tidbit about this Elizabeth Holmes woman, and it's one of the things that I find the funniest so she obviously she was trying to start this company she had like delusions of grandeur of what she could be, but what she did is she loved Steve Jobs. She loved his whole persona, his whole, like, you know, he always wore, like, the black turtleneck. And I was like, <laughs> just
0: going to say, I've seen a lot of black turtlenecks yeah.
1: right now. Yeah, so her thing was, I will just do that. So she just wore black turtlenecks all the time. and And they talk about this quite a bit in the show. She literally lowered her voice. Like, she changed her speaking voice because she thought it gave her more authority. So rather than speaking in her natural tone... She lowered her voice to kind of sound like this for, like, no reason other than she thought people would listen to her more. Turns and out it she is, wasn't wrong. And it's just wild to listen. To, and it's like the people who she scammed were, like, well-known, famous government people and, like, former generals. And, like, it is just outrageous. So uh the name of the podcast is The Dropout, Elizabeth Holmes. Um so I would definitely recommend it. It's really fun. There's not too many episodes, so you can get through them uh, fairly quickly, especially if you've got a nice little commute. So it is really fun and enjoyable.
0: I will totally check that out. It looks like as well that Amanda Seafried will be playing <laughs> right, Miss Elizabeth kind of, Holmes yeah. in the Hulu's upcoming limited series
1: called The Dropout. Oh, you're serious. I thought you were just naming an actress. It no. Looks like- oh, I had no idea this was a thing. No, nope. that is exciting. I'm looking forward to that mm-hmm. now. Well, there we go. Watch Fantastic the podcast. Prepare for the show. I think you listened to a podcast last I checked. I watch it on Spotify. I got to make sure oh. it's still playing. <laughs> yeah, good. Just watch the number go <laughs> across the bottom. All right. All right. Well, and and again, so the Olympics end this weekend. So, Casey, hopefully by this time next week when we record, I'll be all cut up on Ted, Ted Lasso and we can we can talk about it.
0: So apparently, this third episode is is the go to. Um, the first two they're a little lackluster feeling, but I I think I figured out why. Why well, did not figure out why that? Uh, Coach Beard posted on Twitter that uh last year they released the first three episodes on Apple. Oh, like all and of then ones. did weekly. And so they wrote this series expecting Apple to do the same thing where they ah. released the first three. So the first, so he's like, yeah, the first two were written with the understanding that you were going to binge all three. So, I think the third is gonna be the payoff, so
1: okay, well, You're I'm looking just forward in time to, it. to get caught up. You're gonna watch it how the writers intended you to watch it. well, see, that's why I waited. I knew what they wanted yes, absolutely. yep exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we'll look forward to that next week. We're gonna watch finish the Olympics this weekend for me. all right, so uh closing ceremonies we can we'll so we'll be finished with the Olympics on Sunday. It's the closing ceremonies, and Purdue graduate and four time Olympian uh Kara winger is actually going to be carrying the flag for the United States Olympic team. So that is a huge honor for her at the closing ceremonies, and uh, she's always represented Purdue well, so I'm looking forward to that. And there is still Annie Drews uh, of the uh, USA Volleyball is uh, playing for the gold medal, I believe, today. So by the time this podcast is out, you should know if Purdue has another uh, gold medalist in their roster so that is something to look forward to so for Casey and myself make sure to rate review and hammer that subscribe button we will see you next week folks